Today's Easter. Just in case you were wondering, you got mixed up and you thought it was a different day. You know, amazingly, today, well, this season, over 2 billion people will gather. That's twice the amount of any other world religion will gather to recognize this event that happened 2,000 years ago. This man named Jesus from a tiny hamlet 90 miles north of Jerusalem was taken and uh, whipped, scourged to the point where the skin and muscles on his back were hanging in ribbons. He was then nailed to a Roman cross after his arms were pulled out of socket. A spear went through and pierced his heart. After he had died, they mummified him and put him into a tomb. And then, lo and behold, he rose from the dead. Now, you think about that. We're not talking about a myth or an allegory or a metaphor. We're talking about a historical event. If that's true, that's quite a mind-blowing thing, isn't it? That's pretty impressive. Oh, my goodness. So we're here to sing about it and to talk about it, maybe say wow together. Uh, But you have to ask yourself, so what? I mean... Glad he rose. That's a cool thing. It's kind of impressive. Wow, not sure how he did that. But after that's said and done, what difference does it really make? I mean, really. I mean, there's still wars, right? People are still dying. Kids are still being abused. And there's injustice everywhere. Accidents and cancers and disease. I mean, what difference does it make? I'm going to go to work tomorrow. Will there be any difference in my office because he rose or didn't rise from the dead? I mean, so what? I'm glad it happened, but so what? It's a good question. It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Now, several years ago, there was a show on TV. Remember you remember this? Extreme Makeover? Remember this? And they would take some dumpy house and turn it into... Hopefully your house wasn't in part of this. But then they would turn it into a Taj Mahal. So I hope it was your house. And an incredible thing. Well, then they had the episodes, remember, where they did it with people. And they would take somebody who was just struggling physically and they would introduce them to, you know, cosmetologist people and hair people and uh, clothing people and weight loss people and, and dental cosmetic folk and uh, plastic surgeons. And then at the end, you saw the guy's picture before and after. It's like, whoa, that person was made new. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if, in fact, there was really such a thing? I mean, on a much deeper level. Where there was a person who was an extreme, extreme makeover person who could come to you. Like with a wave of his hand. Physically, everything. And we're talking handicaps. We're talking limitations. You have issues, digestive, with your eyesight, parts of your body not doing what they're supposed to do. But this person could make you new. This person could actually rearrange DNA and make you really new. That would be a cool thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, where do I sign up? Can you imagine if the person could also make us new mentally, emotionally, where it doesn't matter what your IQ is. I mean, you could go from like wearing a dunce cap somewhere to summa cum laude from Harvard, you know, in charge of all departments. And be, ah, yeah, yeah, sign me up. Where do I meet this person? How about if there was an individual who could do this historically? 
And they could, they could take our life, look back to, you know, that one thing that you did way back when that you're kind of like, man, I wish I wouldn't. Or that one, one episode you got into or that one bad season of your life where you made some decisions. Or that one thing that happened to you. You had nothing to do with it, but it happened to you. Or that thing, you, everyone said, say no, but you said, I do anyway. And you're going, oh, geez, Louise, what do I do with this? And if you could just go back, and this, but you can't, but if this one person could, and erase all of that. And make you really know how different life would be. Jesus came. The Easter story is is about that kind of thing. He died. He rose again. And you know he could. He was God, so he could have said, "You know, I'm just going to do this for people's physical well being." Well, okay, that'd have been nice, but we still would have died. Jesus knew this. He knew there was there was bigger fish to fry than just the physical thing. Maybe mentally, emotionally, he could have done that. He was God. Had all that going to fixing that. But he knew that there was something else at your basis, at my basis, foundationally, that was really broken, that he had to fix first. And so he came and and he died. Your death became his death, that his life might become your life. And you say, well, mm -hmm." Okay, but I'm still not sure how that changes my Monday. I mean, Easter Sunday is nice, but how does that really impact my life? A picture is worth a thousand words, right? We want to look at three people real quick who came to understand the Easter story, whose Monday was radically different because they did. Up to this point, it might have been an event once a year, but then it was, life was changed. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 16 with me. If you didn't bring your Bible, we're going to have the verses on the screen, not a big deal. But if you want to follow along, there should be a Bible located in the pew rack in front of you, page 1074, I believe. And this is the deal, this is what we're working on. Because 2 Corinthians says this, it says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are new. We start saying, well, again, I don't, don't understand exactly how that works. Acts 16. In, in Acts 16, Paul was going to a place called Philippi. We've got a map on this. And as, as you look at this, you notice see Philippi way up in the upper part of the center, off to your left a little bit screen. Now, if you went to that upper right-hand corner and just went up on a diagonal line, you would hit Crimea and the Ukraine and all the hot spot that's going on there. If you went all the way to the bottom right and then just dropped down several more inches, you would hit Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified, buried, rose in, in the Jerusalem area. But then Paul, this is about 20 years after that happened, Jesus already rose, ascended, went back to heaven. Apostle Paul decides that he needs to take this Easter story to as far away as he can. So he heads off to Philippi. And he's in Philippi. Verse 13. It says, On the Sabbath we went outside to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. There were, you had to have X number of Jewish folk to have a synagogue. They didn't have it, obviously, in Philippi. But secondly, if they didn't have that, these folk would kind of gather near the river. Paul, Paul knew that by the source of running water. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Now, a couple of things that we notice about Lydia here. First of all, she's from Thyatira, which is... Turkey, uh, Asia Minor, she would have been Asian. 
Second thing we notice about Lydia is she's a very wealthy, successful woman. We know that because her home is Thyatira. But she happens to have a second home in Philippi. And archaeologists have told us that there are some homes around the outskirts of Philippi that are like estates. And most probably she had one of these because her home was going to become the house church for the very first church in Philippi. It was a pretty, pretty major place. Also, you know that she's something because she's named. It would have been standard, typical to not name a woman unless she had noble blood or she was, you know, Taylor Swift type of popularity. Everybody knew her. She was a famous, famous person. Well, she's named. Everybody knows who Lydia is. We'd never heard of this girl before, but they knew who she was. Also, you see that she was a a dealer in purple dyes. Now we're thinking, whoa, okay, what is this? I can go to CVS and get purple dye. It's not a big deal. But but at this point, these purple textiles, the, the color for kings was, of course, purple. There's a a source at this point that said that dealers of purple textiles, that was an imperial monopoly. In other words, you couldn't even do it unless you had blue blood. Realize, she dealt with minks. She was a diamond broker. Uh, Lydia was a, a mover, shaker person. She ran with the big dogs. Her clientele would have been kings, royalty. She was, she was a happening gal. You know that she had to be incredibly intelligent for a woman at this point in history to rise to the level of success that she did. Her, her intellect and leadership skills had to be just superior for her to get there. Today, she would be akin to someone like uh, Jenny Ramati, who's the chairman of the board, the CEO, and the president of IBM. Or Ellen Coleman, who's the chairman of the board and CEO of DuPont. Or Marilyn Houston, who's the CEO and president of Lockheed Martin. I mean, this is Lydia. She, everyone knew her. She was a happening, happening girl. We also learned something else about her, though. We learned that Lydia was a spiritual seeker. Growing up in Thyatira, she would have been, there's not a whole lot of of atheist people at this point in history. Uh, Her religion of her area would have been pretty pagan. She would have grown in that, up in that, but she'd realize somewhere along the line that that wasn't going to do it. It says here that she's a worshiper of God. That's like a New Testament catchphrase for saying some pagan person started seeking and began to think that maybe Judaism, its beliefs were the way to God. And so that's, that's what that is. So she tried her religion thing. It wasn't working. She decided to get into the Jewish thing. She was seeking God in some way, pretty, probably a pretty moralistic person. But Paul comes to her. One day he shows up at her church and he gives her the Easter story. And he tells her that that Lydia, Jesus, you know the Old Testament that you're aware of, Lydia? It talks about the coming Messiah. Well, he came. His name is Jesus. And and, and he he died on a cross. But the reason why he died, Lydia, was for you. You know how that pagan thing didn't work for you? You're looking to connect with God. But the thing that's broken inside... That needs to be made new. And your sin is blocking you from God. So when Jesus died, God the Father took all of, your, all of Lydia's sin and put it on the back of Jesus. And he died to pay for your sin. And then when he rose, what that means is that God the Father looked at the payment for your sin and said, 
That'll work. It's sufficient. It'll do. In other words, all of your sin, future sin, it's done. It's over. It's paid for. And Lydia's going, wow, this is fantastic. I realize this. You know, they say, I've heard people say, maybe you have as well, that Christianity's a crutch for weak people. There is nobody more together in this society, nobody more prestigious, nobody more uh, happening than Lydia. But she knew. When the lights were off and no one was around, she knew, this isn't isn't it. And so it's interesting what she does here. It says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This baptism thing. One of the things that this is, is Lydia recognizes that even though the Messiah came and died and rose for me, She's like, comes to a crossroads. She realizes, I've got to do something with this. I have to embrace it. I have to commit my life to it. And so she does. Now, Lydia, if she was to put her story on a piece of cardboard, probably up to this point, her story would say, chasing success. But now, she could flip the cardboard and it would say something like, now, chasing him. Now her Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday would be radically different because she understood the Easter story. Lydia goes on, verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, they were there, I don't know how many more days, but they were going back to that place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. The slave girl. Now, uh, most probably, though Lydia was Asian, the slave girl was was a Greek. Notice some things about her, though. She's not even named, is she? Named Lydia, because you only name people who are significant. Slave girl. Don't even name her. She's very insignificant. Uh, Says that she had a spirit. Some versions might say a spirit of divination. Actually, the Greek says a spirit of the python. And again, it doesn't mean anything to us. But perhaps you've heard of the oracle at Delphi. Very famous in Greece at this time. A lot of the the Greek writers mention this. And what it was, is it was a temple uh, on the side of of Mount Presmus, where there was a, a priestess there known as the oracle. And it said that she spoke through, Apollo spoke through her. And if you had to make a major decision, you dare not make the decision without consulting the, the oracle. And so you, you made your way up and you, you dropped a lot of money on the table. And then the priestess would go into a trance and start speaking goofy words and, and come up with some sort of riddle or something. And you were supposed to discern how that worked with your situation. Well, the emblem for this temple was the python. And so when it says this scale had a spirit of the python, she was like a Oracle of Delphi satellite version, you know, a mobile thing. She was just traveling around. She was a slave, so she was a victim of human trafficking. Um, maybe kidnapped when she's a little girl. Maybe uh, sold by her parents. But as an unknown slave, when she was sold to people to tell them their fortune, she was also sold for whatever else. Uh, If, in fact, she had an unhappy client, you can imagine that her owners beat her mercilessly. Now, she is a foil 
to, to Lydia. Lydia's on one side. Lydia's high success. This girl's so insignificant, she's not even named. Lydia knows the Old Testament. This girl knows evil. Uh, Lydia is, is a, a caviar and pheasant under glass person. This gal is convenience store chips and soda type person. Uh, radically different. But see what this girl knew when she said that these guys are telling you the way to be saved. This slave girl knew that the message that, that Paul and Silas were speaking, the Easter story, was a great message, but she didn't even think that it was possibly from her, for her. You ever know, folk, I've heard people say, I've messed up so bad, God doesn't even want me. I've messed up so bad that, that even God can't reach me. I think that's a little bit of pride, a little bit too much. Well, however, the story tells us that however deep your degradation is, nobody's outside the reach of God. Nobody. No matter how far you think you're from him, or what you've done, or where you, you've gone, who you are today, how far you think you are, nobody is beyond that. Because she was kept saying this in verse 18. For many days, finally Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, you'd say, well, why is Paul upset that this gal is kind of like free PR? You know, she, she's walking around, she's telling everybody to listen to him. But think about this girl for a minute. Her reputation is de- demonic. Uh, the fortune tellers had a reputation of being charlatans, con artists, rip-off artists. That's all this girl has ever known. She walks around screeching. She's freaking out often and say, talking in wild voices and semi-demonic and semi-trying to rip people off. And she's saying, hey, this guy's got a good message. I would listen to him if I were you. And Paul's saying, whoa, whoa. He's trying to distance himself from her. Hey, she's not one of ours. Don't listen to the whoa. So he gets angry and he casts the spirit out of this girl. She comes into an encounter with Jesus and realizes that this message was for even for her. And I can imagine if this, this gal had a card, put her story on, on a card, it would say, demoniac, con artist, uh, hopeless. And she probably assumed, I'm going to die this way. That's, what I'm, that's my life. But then after she met Christ, I think she'd flip it and would say something like, released. Peace, hope-filled. Her life was, was changed. She knew the message before, but now she had encountered it. It embraced her, changed her life. Well, you can imagine Paul gets in a little bit of trouble for this thing in verse 19. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope, these are, these are the girls' pimps, for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, These men are Jews! And they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept this practice. These guys are going to end up in all kinds of trouble. Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack. Kind of a race riot against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten after they had been severely flogged they were whipped severely they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully upon receiving such orders he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks now this jailer person Luke has wrote Acts he's out for us. I'm sure there are others, but he picked out for us just a perfect plethora. You've got Lydia, who's upper, upper, upper crust. 
You got the slave girl who's as low as you can be. Her clientele are the worst you, you can hang with. She's so out of her mind. Lydia needed right answers. This girl can't think right. She needs healing. And then right in the middle, you've got the jailer. You've got china, you've got paper plates, you've got false graph. You know, you've got somebody just right in the middle. He's just a blue-collar sort of guy. Uh, this jailer would have been Roman. He would have been um, a retired centurion because jailer jobs were government jobs and they were cushy. You got to work from Monday to Friday, you know, a nine-to-five kind of thing. And they gave those jobs to people who proved themselves on the battlefield. And so this, this retired centurion who had seen death a lot of times. Matter of fact, he probably had been the source of death for a lot of people a lot of times. Hardened sort of guy. Uh, he gets this job, and I learned, you learned something from this guy here. He hears his, hears his orders, don't let these guys get away. So what's he do? He locks them in the very center cell. He puts their feet in stocks. It would have been a form of torture, separated their legs, locked them down. If they cramped, oh well, they were prisoners, their fault. He doesn't have a whole lot of compassion. What drove the the jailer was not comfort, was not convenience. It was pride in a job well done. I think this guy's like my dad. My dad was a tank sergeant in the army. My dad was very, very, not given to comfort, not given to convenience. But son, if you're going to do a job... Do it right. You know, make sure if your name is attached to it, then do it right. We're working on my 72 Nova one time and we're under the hood. I was, I'm working, I'm hanging, you know, handing screwdrivers and stuff. My dad was doing the work. But at one point he gashed his hand pretty substantially, blood everywhere. He just kept on working. And I'm sitting there, whoa, you shouldn't you like wash that dad? He's like, what, wash what? I said, well, you kind of kind of got a cut on your hand. He said, oh, this is nothing. Let's keep going. And grease is getting in there. He's just, we're just going to make it work. My, my dad we had, a, had a, this kind of philosophy. I remember I would have, uh, I was sick. I remember this. I had a fever. And I said, dad, you know, mom says I got a fever. I don't feel real good. And my dad said, well, son, a life is hard. And sometimes you got to work even when you're sick. Now get out there and clean the garage. Yeah. This was like, well, this is how the jailer's like, I think. He's very no nonsense. Get the job done. My dad, you know what he lived for? When you went downstairs in our, in our basement, one whole wall was covered with sales rep of the month awards. My dad, we had a handful of service stations in Chicago, and I remember whenever competition came around, little kid, probably eight, going out there with a handful of other people, cleaning the drives of the station. And we would cone off, we're out there with bleach and, and tide, scrubbing these things and degreaser, because my dad wanted us to be able to eat off of the drive if we needed to. Those, he was building his trophy case. He was filling it with stuff that he thought made him significant. This is who this jailer is. This is what he's about. But he never met anybody like Paul and Silas before. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. This jailer knew, because he'd seen this a lot of times, that everyone's building their life on something. If you're building your life on relationships, if you take away those relationships, a person's life crumbles. 
If their joy is in possessions, you take away those possessions and suddenly you've taken away their joy. If their security is in significance, well, you remove that significance and their life is over. If their, if their joy is in um, health or in pleasure, you remove those things and their life is done. But here's Paul and Silas. They've got none of that stuff. I mean, everything has been taken away. They're thousands of miles away from family. No one knows them in town. They've just been beaten terribly. They're being tortured in the stocks at this point. And their prospect tomorrow in court is not real good. They're going to be in trouble. And here they are singing praises. They've got a joy that no circumstance can touch. And the jailer knows that though they're in stocks and he's walking around, they understand freedom. Not on him. So he goes to sleep that night listening to them sing. But then a a earthquake comes. It takes down the doors of the cells. It doesn't bring the, the, the top down. It says in verse 27, the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. My job, my, my reputation is all that matters. And it's over. It's over. He knew that the penalty for a uh, guard, if they let one of the prisoners escape, was death. Perhaps he could get away with public humiliation and shame for his family. Most probably an execution, public execution awaited him. And he said, you know what? Everything I, I lived for is done. He wanted all those Jailer of the Month awards. Now, what, what, what's with that? Have you ever been to a place... Where you were so down, where the future was so dark, you'd say, you know what? There's just not a whole lot of use in going on. Maybe you're there this morning and you're plodding through, but that thought's in your mind that, you know what? Things are so dark. Things are so over. It's just not a whole lot lot of of use in going on. That's where the, the, the jailer was. Verse 28, it says, but Paul shouted, just as this guy's getting ready to kill himself, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and immediately he... And all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Let me ask you. The jailer got to a place where he rejoiced that he had come to know God. Have you come to a place where you have come to know God? Not, 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 not an ask. Do you go to church? Or is there a church with your name on the roll someplace? Or um, have you gone through some spiritual ritual? But have you come to know God? That's an amazing thing. Jailer wasn't looking for that. Kind of blindsided him as well with that. I think if the jailer had a, a card... He put his story on a card. It would say something like, chasing uh, my trophy case, to fill my tro- trophy case. And that's what he was living. It's assumed how he would die. But after he met Jesus, and he realized that his death became Jesus' death, that Jesus' life might become his life, the other side, the other reality now, was that he was chasing 
after Jesus. This, this, this story amazes me when I'm here in church because I know our congregation is filled with Lydia's and slave girls and jailers. People who were chasing things for their trophy case. They were seeking to fill it. Or maybe they're like Lydia, just climbing the ladder. Everything was going fine. But still, there was just this ache. Something wasn't right. There are people in the congregation went through the slave girl thing. Maybe addictions or secrets that they thought nobody would know. But that was what would give them pleasure. That's what would give them life. Until the consequences of those things wreaked incredible catastrophe on their lives. Folk who've had accidents come their way where they've had nothing to do with it. But when all the wheels come off, the friend died, the party was over, the boy quit calling, the the doctor started calling, the uh, divorce court date started looming. And suddenly they were at bottom saying, oh, all this stuff I sought to live for, it's done. And maybe they got into the jailer mindset. It's just all over. It's just all over. That's the time when the Easter story really comes alive and Jesus steps in. And notice, so important, when the jailer said, what do I have to do to be saved? To have the kind of joy that you have when all of life has fallen apart, you guys are fine. Look at me, I'm a mess, I'm a victim of fear. What do I have to do to get out of the fear? He said, ah, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Realize that his, your death became his death, that his life would become your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, when I think about my own life, and I think about my story, and I realize, God, that I was so purposeless and I was so mean. I think of the kids, other kids that I hurt and didn't give a rip about the damage that I had done physically and emotionally to people. And then you stepped into my life and you called my name. And you forgave me. And you gave me purpose. Thank you, oh Lord, that you came to make new. A newness that we can all have. Doesn't matter where we've been. Doesn't matter if we're in a Lydia or slave girl or jailer camp. And Lord, as we would stop now and reflect and listen... And look, Lord, would your Holy Spirit speak to us? Would you show us what we need to do? Would you remind us that you came that we might be made new? Would you do your work, O Lord, for eternity's sake? Amen.